Welcome to the Virtual Velo Podcast powered by the Zimunike. We are exercise and nutrition scientists, physical therapists, and performance coaches, but most of all, we are passionate about cycling and immersed in the virtual cycling community. Our goal is to inform, inspire, and challenge you. Come take a conversational ride with us. Joy, Chris, great to see you again. How are everyth- how's everything going? It's going great. And also, Ken, happy birthday. Oh, thank you very much. I will be turning 47 on Sunday. Actually, our guest just had a birthday also, which we won't spill the beans who that is, but happy birthday to her. Fantastic. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Um, actually, uh, stoked. I had another one of my articles published by The Cycling News about four hours ago. And uh, I'm going uh, to put our, our newest cast member on the spot and ask him a question. If I had to ask you, and uh, this will be a good way to introduce this person, who is the the number one best e racer in the uh, in the history of esports? What, what name would jump into your mind? Are you asking me? Are we asking me? Yeah, right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. I'm asking you. Oh my goodness! In case nobody recognizes this voice, tell us who you are. Yeah, Nathan Guerra, uh, Zwift Community Live, aka I don't know if voice of Zwift. At least I was given a blue check mark for that at one point, I guess. So I like it. Um, yeah, appreciate appreciate the on the spot. Um, you know what's kind of cool? I'll, give you, I'll make it a little bit. Well, actually, no, I'm not even going to give you a hint. Just you just get, tell me the name that pops into your head, and we're talking about like from the start. Well, that's tough, man. Like because. What just pops into my head? Okay, so what I'm going to say first is what's really cool to me is I immediately start searching women's names actually recently rather than – like right away I was like, oh, who's the guys? No, wait a second. I'm actually thinking of like the women's scene is growing so much in Zwift racing that like, huh, who's the best esports okay, well, racer? I'll... Esports only though, and that's what I'm going to go with then, and then I'm going to say – in the history of Zwift racing, and we'll narrow it down. It's it's a it's a male racer. Oh, a male! And racer? I shouldn't have. It has to be a male racer. Should... What's no. that? Well, this no, it doesn't. It doesn't this have is... to be just for the for the purposes of this question. Oh man, uh, Lionel Viasen. I mean, like as far as like, yeah, that would just have to say. Okay, so of all time, you're giving me all time. Then it's then it just is oh. the duck. Even even now, even now. Most successful recently would be James Barnes. Then James Barnes would be the most successful recently. Barney would be okay. So I'm going to tell you where I'm going with this, and this might Jay Vine. uh, I mean Jay Vine, but he went outside and then showed up and raced worlds. So this might be the 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 worst kept secret in esports. But the article I wrote was about the uh, the virtual cycling platform MyWish, and their head of data analytics is Holden Camo. Hmm. So Holden is the no question idea. is the answer. Uh, Holden. Oh boy, yeah. So, yeah, he's, Holden. He's fun to right, watch. So he, he was he was the number one ranked racer for six months straight and he's third now even. He's the first Holden's US national champion right? and everything else. Yeah, so um I always think of him, although Lionel is uh, is certainly uh, right up there, although he he kinda has taken a step back and Holden has, has continues to take a step forward. But um, my wish is a uh, is a new virtual cycling platform that's very much focused on esports and their validation and everything. And he's uh, he's part of their group, so it kind of was like a uh, like I broke the story of the fact that Holden was uh, involved in that, and they, they gave me the opportunity to do that. But anyway, that that's uh, that's the reason why I put you on the spot, and I'm sorry about that. But why don't we uh, why don't we uh, ask Nathan to uh, talk a little bit more? Yeah, tell us a little about yourself, how you got involved with Zwift, and. <clears throat> where things are going with you and you're, you know, like, uh, one thing that, um, we, if you're a fan of Zwift and podcasts, you've probably been listening to Nathan for years on the Zwift cast, uh, which, uh, unfortunately is, is no longer. Um, but yeah, let's just hear a little bit about it. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of people know about me from Zwift community live. Um, I own Zwift community live as a partner, of Zwift, uh, sometimes that can be a little confusing that people don't know that there is a definite line there that is a uh, partner business with Zwift uh, alongside of a lot of what inside is kind of called the original partners would be the big four, GP Llama, uh, Zwift Insider, Zwiftcast, and then Zwift Community Live, all kind of creating content in different ways. 
you know, whatever that need was in the community. Um, so Zwift Community Live, there's a long history there. Uh, it came out of uh, my Twitch channel, Nathan Garrett personal channel, actually. I started broadcasting in 2015, right around the end of beta, right before the end of the beta, I started doing um, just live shoutcasting because I was watching lots of esports. Actually, I was like, I can do this. I raced bikes. I was a professional mountain biker at the time. At the time, I was ranked one with USA Cycling in the nation and doing all my training on Zwift because I was a dad inside riding trainer. And uh, then was like, I'm just going to start commentating on these races. And Eric Min called me and was like, you want to come do this in real life? And we did some of those KOM challenges. And then it just kind of developed from there where um, I just kept on showing up on my personal channel and like supporting the community that was just showing up at a start line that didn't have events at that time. And uh, we kind of made our own events. We just made it happen. We kind of forced the platform to say, hey, racing's a thing, and there's going to be people talking about it. So what are you going to do about it? And then um, rather than having people showing up to some dude's personal channel, they were like, well, you want to partner with us and use the brand. And so uh, we went ahead and launched that late 2016 after a solid like year or so of just kind of showing up and both racing at my personal Twitch channel and doing the broadcast through there. There's like, if you want to go back and look at really bad VODs of like what we were like at first. I mean, there's actually things I would like to bring back from those days that we don't do now. But um, yeah, there's a whole log of like a year of broadcasting Tuesday night and Thursday night races um, on my Nathan Garrett channel on YouTube, as well as stuff that we did on the old Twitch channel. So Awesome. I feel like I feel like our podcasts are going to be uh, be that too. We're going to say that about this a couple of years from now. Well, that is the hope. Take a look at. Let's let it grow. All right, and we have another guest with us today, the uh, Liz Van Howling. She's currently the number one ranked female e racer in the world. Liz, welcome to the Virtual Villa Podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um... I live in Des Moines, Iowa area, and I've got two little kids, a two-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter. And um, I used to, I started out in college racing road. That was how I got introduced to the actual racing bikes. My family kind of all rode bikes growing up, but I didn't start racing until college and did primarily road through that. And then it wasn't until I moved to Iowa in 2013 that I got more into the off-road side. And I met my husband, and he was a mountain biker, so then I got more into mountain biking and cyclocross racing and decided I didn't like road quite as much, so kind of gave that up and, um, yeah, and got married and got pregnant and kind of quit riding bikes for a while, and then I found Zwift, and here we are. Awesome. Well, it's really great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. Liz. When I first... um started doing, you know, writing the articles for the June of the K, I, I, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to try to do what I could to promote and put a, a face to the avatar. And I started doing those e-racer interviews and I did, uh, I asked Liz and she, uh, she was really great to do it. And, and she was the only community racer that's ever, that I've ever done an e-racer interview on. I just, like I'd been watching her and I was just like, she, this, this female racer has what it takes to, to rise up the ranks. And that was, I think in November. And now you're number one in the world. It's, it's pretty amazing. But uh, before, before we go further, I, I need to ask you a question. I, I'm having trouble wrapping my head around this. And I'm thinking that if, in, if ever I am like the, the owner of a cycling team, I think that I need to, to hire one of the Van Howlings to be the DS for me because I don't know how it's possible that there can be two ladies in your family that are world-class cyclists like how does that work well so molly van howling is not actually related by blood we just both so happened to marry into the van howling family so my husband ryan is cousins with her husband rob so uh he's i guess molly is my husband's cousin-in-law i don't know what that makes her to me but yeah we're both married into the van howling bloodline and she's the, the previous UCI world hour record holder. That's like, like hitting the genetic lottery in some way. It's got to be. And how are family dinners? That sounds like a lot of fun. Holidays. Oh. 
Yeah, we've never actually ridden together outside in real life. So I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to do that at some point. <laughs> that sounds like it could be messy. All right. So I believe we wanted to have a little bit of a conversation about the eSports World Championship. And so we've got some some great minds in here that have been following the eSports Championship for quite some time. Let's hear your thoughts. Well, one thing that I'm really interested in, I, I'm hoping that uh, Liz can help us out with this, is that I don't know if, if the the actual like general um, viewing public knows how much work it took somebody like Liz to actually participate in that. Um, like all the stuff that you had to do leading up to the race. Like give us some uh, behind the scenes uh, you look into uh, all the things that you had to do, like the, the licensing, the Zada, the whereabouts, the safe sport, the background check, all that stuff. Yeah, it was a lot. And especially I hadn't done all of the like Zada verification stuff or had to do weigh-ins or any of that stuff previously because I was a community writer when I qualified for the team. So it was all extremely overwhelming to me. Um, uh, but yeah, they uh, they rightly so try to make it as, as fair as possible. And so we had to jump through a lot of hoops. We were all sent the same trainer. We all had the Wahoo Picker V5s and had to perform um, testing on that specific trainer and send it to Zada. And then, yeah, all of the had to have whereabouts so that we could be drug tested um, around the time of the world championships. And then we had to send our trainers back if we placed high enough to, to have them tested after the race so that they could decide if we had tampered with them or not. So yeah, especially the the few weeks leading up, a lot of had, stuff had to be done right at the very end too. So when it, I think it was about ten days out or something that I finally got all of the logistical work done, and it was like a sigh of relief that now I can just concentrate on actually training for the race and and being ready for race day. And the only thing left was really to do the weigh in and height uh, height verification stuff on race day. Now, one thing that, you know, Nathan probably might have an idea about this is, was there a lot of media uh, obligations leading up to that? Like, I know that Zwift was trying to promote it, and I don't know how much the UCI was, you know. You guys, have, do you, either of you have any comments on that? Well, it was lockdown. I mean, uh, UCI, anytime um, is involved in some sort of way, there's definitely... You know, the only way that I was able to be involved with that because of the lockdown is similar when Zwift was dealing with the Olympics. I mean, one of the most protected brands in the world. And so um, UCI, I would say, is a little bit below what it felt like when it came to dealing with the media rights around all that. Because at the Olympic level, it's like, it gets pretty intense. Like, no athletes even, you know, but at the UCI, um, anything that had to be to do with UCI, rainbow colors, I mean, across the board, there was just a lot of like, make sure that you don't step on any toes there and make sure that there's rights around things. So um, yeah, I ended up doing uh, a watch party actually on ZCL where, on uh, Zwift Community Live, where uh, we, rather than showing any images, we watched it live and then just like our reactions at ZCL to what was happening live was really what we were able, able to do. But that was a ton of fun. Uh, pretty cool. But uh, as far as media prep and all that goes, I mean, I know at the at the Zwift Live production side, that was a huge undertaking uh, because of the amount. Like, it, think about it. You've got athletes all over the world who all could win. And you, if you don't get that live reaction <laughs> and you have to have a camera on every single one of them, and you have to make sure that it looks at least okay, right? Like one of the things when you're going into getting live riders is like, please give me a three-fourths view. And then you got to educate them on what a three-fourths view is. And then you have to educate them on, and there's like all of this, you know, prepping. And how many athletes are in that event that you're prepping virtually from across the world? Liz, you probably went through this, right? Like where they had to prep you with all that. Yeah, so we actually had to call into a a Zoom call the week before the race. They had certain hours that different countries basically could call in, and you had to show your camera of what you were going to show on race day to make sure that it was approved. So we also couldn't have any any like sponsor uh, anything. Like I couldn't have a, a Sarah's towel. Our water bottles couldn't even have any branding on them. So we had to like use tape. I used masking tape to cover up 
Rasmussen bike shop on my water bottle. And uh, so, yeah, so we had to call in at certain hours prior to race day to make sure that our video was acceptable. Yeah, for me, I'd have to put some duct tape over the Toro label on the lawnmower back here. <laughs> you literally would. Yeah. You for sure would. Like, no branding whatsoever. So one thing I was curious. They even were making if, Go ahead, Liz. If people were Zwifting in their garage, they even made people move their car that said to, that had, like, a Toyota symbol on it. Well, that wouldn't be a problem. I'd just have a generic car. So, like, I know, like, the, the UCI license is fairly expensive, right? Is that something that you, you have to cover the cost for all that stuff? Well, if I... They... Uh, oh, go, uh, go ahead, Liz. Go ahead, Liz. Uh, well, wait, hold on, wait, hold on. So, are you asking about a UCI license that we, like, our, us as athletes or our team take care of that? Are you talking about the media right license? That's what you're talking about, right? Well, I guess I guess both. I guess it's, it's an interesting question. I never thought of it by that way but we have like uh, how the, uci makes money you want to talk about how you, well like, i just like i just i think the main thing is like you know liz is entering this race and she's she's had the honor to qualify and get there but then when she gets there it's not that's not where it ends you know it's obviously a tremendous amount of obligation and if there's a financial obligation on top of that then i'd you know, be really interested in that too because i remember paying my own way as a mountain biker a lot of times and i'm wondering how much support of the esports side of things getting and all that so so we got special treatment and also because it was like the end of the calendar year, it was all messed up, but basically USA cycling, if we did not already have a UCI license, USA cycling covered the cost of a license for us. So I did not have to pay to register to have a license. Do you know how much it is? The world. I think it's $180. This, this year it was like two something. I just, I just bought my UCI license like last month and it was like two, 250 plus or something yikes yes yeah. i was under the impression it was more than that that's uh that's uh if you register a team, more than you should have if you register a team that things start really ramping up so like if you yeah so a little bit different well i want to hear about the race so liz so uh, tell us a little about your your pre-race strategy like going into it uh in the days leading up to it like sleep diet looking at the course course recon Yeah, I have been recounting the course basically since I found out I qualified in November. So I've done it a lot, a lot of times. That's the really nice thing about Zwift is you can pre-ride it a bunch. So I knew the defining feature was just going to be that that climb, the New York climb um, that we had to do three times and the finish was on the top. So I figured all the decisive moves were going to come on there. So that was the only part I was too concerned about. And yeah, I just, uh, it's kind of stair-steppy. So I was trying to figure out the fastest way for me to get up it basically. And I felt like if I could punch it really hard on the steep start, steep parts and then sit in more on the flat parts and try to conserve, um, that was going to be the fastest way up. But you also have to ride how other people are, are doing it. So I had to be prepared for whatever was going to happen on race day. So yeah, I just tried to ride that climb as many times and then in as many different ways as possible, basically. And then trying to actually peak for a race was kind of a different experience for me. Usually I'm just doing multiple races every week and you just want to do as well as you can in every race. So trying to actually peak was, was definitely different. Um, and my legs the week before I just, every morning when I get up, I'd be like, okay, how do my legs feel today? And it was, it was challenging to, to try to figure out what to do every day to, to get my legs as, as good as possible on race day um but yeah i think i came in as well as prepared as i could i got a little sick for my kids that week but i didn't feel too bad on race day and then um it, it's kind of nice with zwift i have two little kids so we were just going about life that morning we even went to the grocery store to get my pre-race meal because i was out of bread or something <laughs> and, and so you just kind of live your life up to the point that that the race happens um, and then try to switch switch modes. And my husband took the kids so they wouldn't be in the basement distracting me. And, and then it was go time. That's great. Right now, I have a question for you. Were, did, in your pre-race strategy, were you, the, uh, were you the, uh, the, the key racer on your team or how did that work out? Like, like I'm, I'm wondering, I'm, I should ask this question. I should ask this question to Nathan. I'll put him on the spot again. 
Did you have Liz pegged for the best finisher on the team during your race party? No. Sorry, Liz. <laughs> Sorry. But I think Liz knew that too going in. And Liz definitely showed up and proved herself to be amongst the best, which is freaking awesome. My money was on uh, Liz the whole time. So, um, no, it's great, great. I mean, it's awesome. Just there's the reality of what we watched the week before. And the week before, we were on a longer climb and Kolchinski freaking was right on past Hill's wheel. So, I mean, you're, if you're going to make a prediction, you're like, looks like Kolchinski's peaking. Let's see what happens. And then um, I don't know if Kristen had a bad day or she's just the reality that the fields are getting deeper with punchier climbers, which this is definitely a much punchier climb. You did see that Kolchinski came back on the ZRL race the week prior on a longer grind where she was able to, uh, make things up through a threshold effort, whereas this was like a minute and a half, two minutes, like it's just all in, right? So, and Liz showed that she's got that maybe in more spades than Kristen, perhaps. Not sure. Or it was just a bad day. I know I chatted with Kristen and, and she was really frustrated with herself, but um, yeah, I had Kristen pegged as the favorite for the Americans. It seems like she did a lot of work um, a little bit early on that, sh that she, I think she maybe lacked a slight bit of discipline. You know, I think that she may not have ridden the, the perfect race for her. But just so that I you guys know, that I, was, have a... I thought that was what maybe they told her. I was watching Liz uh, since she's she's my teammate on Saturn, and I don't really know Kristen, but I assumed that was maybe Kristen's job, and that's what she was told to do. So Liz can tell us. Yeah, we can. we had a team meeting the week of race day, and all of us kind of talked about what we thought our role on the team was going to be and if we thought we were there for trying to go for the win or just helping and um and even on on race day it was kind of like a lot of I would say everyone else on the American squad wanted a, a hard race leading up to that final climb and they thought that was their best chance for success and then I said I wanted an easy <laughs> race as possible because I feel like my my strength is in that explosive power. So um, basically, I was going to sit in and, and draft as much as I could the entire time and then hope that that last three-minute burst up would be enough for me. Um, the girls that wanted it a harder race were maybe pushing it harder on the front and then also the ones that didn't think that they were going to make it up the and have a, a super great finishing position the last time up we kind of started attacking that last lap. So Catherine Curry had a couple really, really good attacks. Steph Sidlick did. Um, so we kind of just started sending people off the front that didn't think that they were feeling well enough to do well up that last time in the hopes that we could make other people, Ashley and Fossey in particular, um, and team, team Great Britain we knew was a big threat. So we were hoping by sending our riders off the front, we could make other people work and give me, Kristen, whoever else was, was sitting in more of a chance up that last climb. I also watched Liz and Lee race it out on that climb multiple times leading up and seeing the uh, PRs every time Liz did that climb week after week, I that's, that's why I had my money on her. Well, she did the final climb at 311. Uh, 355 average watts, 6.4 watts per kilo for three minutes and 11 seconds. That is very impressive. Unbelievable. Is it, it, was it as hard as it sounds and looked? Uh, it, it was. I, I actually thought that the race was going to be harder up until the last climb. And um, I, I thought the first two times up were going to be even faster than they were, but I thought I felt really good leading into that last effort up. And then when I had kind of decided on that second stair step, um, that one's the steepest, I was going to try to sprint that one as hard as I could in the hopes of getting a gap. Or in this case, since three girls or four girls had already got up the road, hope of closing that gap before the last flat section to the finish. But then on that, uh, <laughs> that steep section, I was definitely tired. So I think it was harder than, than I probably thought that it was. And just with the adrenaline and the excitement of being in the world championships, it was, it's like you're, you're feeling good until you're not, basically. <laughs> it, it, looked, it looked awesome. It really did. I was, uh, so, I was so happy for you. 
So tell us a little bit about what it what it's like now, Liz. Now that you have competed and, and performed at such a high level, and you're famous. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's been good. I uh, I can't say my Zwift experience has been a ton different, but I didn't even really start racing against women's fields until January when I started. Uh, the premier race stuff. So it's been fun to do more with the Harrison Opens team with the women's races. I enjoy them and it, it's fun to to see how many strong women there are across the, the world. Um, but I still, I love the, the mixed racing and um, it's just, just, even though you're inside, it just feels like the big strong fields, you get sucked along like an, an outdoor group ride. And so I just love the experience of, of the mixed racing still. And um, I feel like people know my name now more, like I get more random messages on Swift than I did before. Uh, but other than that, I wouldn't say a ton has, has changed since Worlds. No, it's interesting, Nathan, that you, um, your mind immediately went to the female racers because like I have the, uh, the and you have this, the benefit of this also is the analytics of, of the stuff that I write and I see. And like I did a, um, like a, uh, an overview of the men's team and an overview of, of the women's um, esports world championship team for, for the U.S. And the female article got significantly greater number of views than, than the men's article did. And I, you know, we're going to talk about the uh, the racing for the knockouts, but I thought that the uh, the women's fields were significantly more uh, exciting to watch. But we could talk about that in a little bit. I think that you're hitting on something there as far as the excitement of the racing women's fields i do i don't know why this happens because there's a couple of different variables that you could throw in there to say why this happens as far as are women more aggressive in racing or is there less parity so because there's less parity across it they're able to be more aggressive you know there's um th there's a lot of different reasons that you could say it but it just seems that the uh, women's racing does have more breakaway situations happening. You have more attacks happening, people feeling like they can give it a go. So um, yeah, definitely, I feel like as far as the action goes, the women's racing, and it's also just getting a lot more attention, I think. And because it's new, uh, th there is this resurgence in the esports world. I think um, there's, there's just a reality of there's already names and, and kind of a dominance that's already happened some, you know, in the other genres and that this is a new space with the, that you can have a breakout situation with media around around women's racing too. So I think that's another variable that jumps in there. That's just a reality that people started watching more women's racing through this platform. It's interesting. Yeah, before we move on to, uh, to, to more stuff with Liz, I want to just ask one more question about the, uh, the World Championship itself. Now, after the race, you know, the, there, were, there were some steps that were taken to uh, you know, just make sure everyone was clean and everything. Were you involved in that, Liz? Yeah, so I had to send my trainer back. I was not allowed to touch it after the race, so I packed that up the next day and, and mailed that back for, uh, to make sure that it hadn't been tampered with. And then we still had nine days i think of whereabouts um where the we could come and get drug, drug tested and i was surprised i actually did get drug tested after worlds um so yeah we had someone come to my house and got to pee in a cup and sign a bunch of stuff and that was a whole new experience which i didn't honestly think was going to happen but it it uh helped it was almost an honor that they, they thought i was good enough to come get tested and then I think it just helps make the sport even more legitimate if they're willing to go take those kind of steps to, to verify the esports athletes like that. Was that UCI generated or was that USA Cycling generated? Do you know? Uh, I think it was UCI. Yes, that was a huge commitment. Like, but, you know, that, that's the whole thing with, with uh, you know, esports and Zwift and Zwift racing. Everybody, you know, the, the biggest knock on it is the fact that they, you know, it, that it's not legit, you know, and. And for them to actually be drug testing, you know, racers at the highest level is a pretty major commitment that I don't think that a lot of people know about. It's fun to uh, explain who those yeah. people are to your kids as well. Yeah, I had just done a Zwift race and then 
hadn't drank much during the race and then went outside and played with my kids and wasn't drinking. And so it literally, she was hanging out at my house for over two hours because I couldn't see enough in the cup. <laughs> and I was chugging liquids and yeah, it was pretty awesome. That's hilarious. See, you don't get that just anywhere at any podcast, that the fact that Liz couldn't pee for a drug test. There you go. My kids were giving her hugs. Can I say just, uh, I want to ask Liz, to be ranked number one right now on Zwift Power, are you, There's people get there different ways. I know some really focus on it and some just like the platform and like happen to like racing at certain times. And so, and, and in certain events, and then they suddenly find themselves, they're just really successful and they're like, whoa, I'm in a top spot uh, because of when they happen to race and who they happen to race with. So I, I'm just wondering your mindset there, like, is this a goal for you to hold on to that top spot and have you been aiming at it? I wouldn't say I was aiming at it, but I do look at race ranking and once I started getting kind of in the top 10, I was like, oh, this is cool. And I don't like pick races based on race ranking by any means, but I love a, a high quality, deep field. It's just, those are my favorite types of races. And, and honestly, in the women's field, it's hard. Like, even if you win a race, you don't necessarily get a better race ranking. So the more mixed races that you do, the, the better your, your ranking can, can get. So I do the, since we didn't have premiere for DRL this season, I did the mixed a for ZRL. So, and that's, I do like the EMA, EMEA time zone. Um, so you can get decent race rankings from those. And then I like those TFC Mad Monday races too Ouch. that have the split category. Yeah, seventh one. place amongst amongst the men I'm seeing here uh, just the other day. Well, not the other, but in, you know, in March and then, or late, early April and then in March, a ninth place. I mean, you're taking like top tens. And then we even highlighted in yeah, the ZRL mix the other day, we saw that you're like one of your best ones here, third place with the mix team with amongst the boys. Okay, no. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I've gotten, I, I mean, I felt like when I was trying to train for Worlds too and doing fewer of the, mi the mixed races, my high end stuff was getting worse. And so I kind of wanted to just get back to that, that mixed racing to work on my punch a little bit more um and i definitely think it's it's helped and the kind of that one minute power seems to be my my sweet spot for what i'm best at so libby hill was perfect yeah and so tell us about the knockout races that you just did So we didn't have normal uh, premier racing with all the normal like DRL races this time. So Zip came up with this knockouts tournament with different formats that were shorter, more intense racing to try to just make it more exciting. Um, so they had different formats. We did points races, we did elimination races, and then the finals. So it, each, each week, if you won, you got to move on to the next week and take on a new team. And then the finals were three different races, back-to-back, -back, an elimination, a hill climb, and a points race. And it, it was kind of cool because the field, you only had either head-to-head, -head, so either you and one other team um, with five riders each, or the first week we had three. So it was very small, small fields, which made for more exciting racing, I thought, and different tactics could actually work and the power-ups I felt like kind of played out differently too than with the big big fields so yeah it was exciting and I think drew some more viewers in um, just for different formats and the action was non-stop from beginning to so finish. So when racing women in the knockouts or any other of the women's races compared to mixed racing what do you see some of the biggest differences are? Uh, the sprints, definitely. So um, women, I just don't think that the, the high end is quite as much as the men. So I, I think that uh, the women tend to go longer um, since they don't have as big of a punch. It seems like the girls that know that they don't have as big a punch can go longer. And then sometimes that turns into a lot of them have really, really high FTPs. So 
it turns into more breakaway opportunities they're more willing to go out long by themselves and potentially stay away so would you would you name a name of anybody that if you were in a pen if you were lined up in a pen ready to race and you see another name that you're going to be racing who would you say that you're most nervous of is there anyone that you would that you say oh i'm gonna to have to really work hard today I mean, it depends on the course, right? So, uh, yeah, if it's a if it's a long climbing course, if it's the epic KO and Kristen Kolchinski for sure. But you know, if it's a a sprint sprinter type course, I you're feeling pretty good about uh, yourself. There's a lot. <laughs> pretty pretty confident going into. <laughs> you're probably pretty confident on racing be. anyone with a sprinting course. Yeah. Not maybe not the men, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I had I was going to ask just if there was one particular race that you're most proud of. I mean, we talked a lot about uh, the obvious, the the championship, but is there any other race that you know people may not even know about that you're just really proud of? Um. Well, that last premier division race actually had the epic KOM, which I am not a sustained climb, climber type person. Um, but I actually was super happy. I, I won the Titans Grow Reverse climb. So that was like a minute and a half effort up that. And then I was like, okay, now we're just going to see what happens uh, with that one. But I was actually really pleased with what I was able to do. I think I ended up 15th or something like it was like, my worst finish for a premier race, but I knew that that course didn't suit me. And I actually did better than I thought. And my, my 15 minute power was as good as it could have been. Uh, it was very close to a personal record after all the efforts before that. So that was actually one I was super proud, proud about and gave me a lot of confidence heading into the world championships two weeks after that or whatever. Fabulous. I think we should, you know, the, the Zwift knockouts was, I think, knocked out of the park. It was great. It was exciting. So I have a question for, for uh, you, Liz, and for, for Nathan, actually. Um, was the racing as hard as it looked? And I mean, from the from the broadcasting end and the racing end, and was it as exciting for you guys as it was for everyone watching? Because it was exciting. It was hard. Uh, the Especially the, the crit course ones, I felt like where the sprints were coming so thick and fast, it was like you couldn't even wrap your head around what was was happening. But I I, I like the elimination ones the best, where you just had to make it not last across the line. Um, and then the the points ones when you're trying to actually sprint and win every every banner. And then if your team is not doing well, you have to try to change tactics in the middle of the race when you have another sprint and another thirty seconds, but you're trying to think about what tactics you can use to, to start doing better. Um, yeah, they, they were hard. I felt like the, the Richmond one with the points race on there, you got a lot of recovery in between each of the efforts, uh, apart from the Libby 23rd street one, but that one wasn't, wasn't quite as bad. And that was on a course that suited me for sure. But especially those ones where you have to sprint every, every minute, it was a lot for sure. I wanted to, just chime in on that because I think Liz, you've done short track racing, right? I just did cross country. No, okay. Well, there's one thing in cycling that um, the short track experience is very unique. Like there's there isn't much. There's a reason why it's called the Hurricane of Pain. And watching that, I was like, that looks like the Hurricane of Pain. That looks like an experience that I've only had in cycling when I jump into a short track race where it's just the amount of chaos you're feeling in the pain alongside of the decision-making alongside of like, I mean, it's split second, you know, it, it's, it's, it feels like arena gladiator. It's like live or die right now. And it's going to be over in 10 minutes. That's what short track racing is like. And I've never feel, felt that much, I mean, chaos is the only word I can, uh, trying to control chaos is what it felt like. And the split decisions alongside of whether or not you showed up and you're over your head and whether or not you're over your head and your fitness, like 
comes to a reality so quickly. And it, another analogy I would make is like you get into a boxing match and it's the whole you got to plan to get hit in the face. Like once you're in a boxing match and you get the lights knocked just a little bit, I don't know anybody who's boxed before. I boxed a little bit. And like once you get knocked a little, next thing you know, the gauges start going and the controls start going on. And you're like, okay, I no longer have control of the situation. And I feel like uh, the knockouts did that. They really brought this nonstop coming at you racing where you have to make some really good split decisions. And if you didn't make them well, next thing you know, you're just in way over your head and there's no recovering from it. Yeah, that's what happened. We made it to the finals, which was super exciting. And then the first race was the elimination race against Team Swedish Swifters. And it was, they, we thought that they were going to wait to the last second and try to nip us up the line forever. And they were going longer than we thought. And so, like, what we thought was going to happen heading into it was completely different. And then we got one person out, we got two people out. And then it's just like, we can't, we can't change. <laughs> It, it was so hard to to change the the tactics and what we thought and how we were going to react and um, so yeah we got we got knocked down hard <laughs> at the beginning of that elimination race and then it was just hard. To I, I really that. do want to highlight though that if anyone hasn't watched, especially that first race on Downtown Dolphin on Crit City, where you ended up taking on three of the team Swedish Swifters solo and then winning the actual fine. I mean that was. That was, I mean, your team didn't win, but what you pulled off there was one of the, that was a, that was a, I would think back to the moments. That's a BL13 moment. That's a, uh, the Lionel Viasin, the duck moment when he came back from a dropout in a live event on the world's course. Like you definitely pulled something off there that goes down in drift racing history. And I want to know what that was like in that moment. Yeah, we had down the three and I thought we had the three strongest and I was like, all right, we're okay. And then all of a sudden it was me and five, five Swedes. So that was a little bit overwhelming, but the, the race is so short at that point, we still only had two laps left or whatever it was. So I would just, and then all I have to worry about is, is me. You don't have to think about how to, how to keep your team in basically. So yeah, I, I was honestly surprised they didn't attack me more longer. Like I thought I was going to have to chase more than I did, but they didn't, they went early a few times, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. So I just had to make sure no no one got too far away. But especially that climb that climb sprint, I could tell if I if I I, I caught a lot of people on the second half of that climb and then even around the corner into the banner. So I'd done that course enough. I I knew my strengths and I was pretty confident that I could just hang on for another lap and then sprint for the finish. Like Nathan, you can uh, tell me if you felt the same thing, but even when Wiz was isolated in that race, I, it, it still seemed to me like the Swedish Swifters were on their back feet. Like they were, they were racing scared of you. It looked like they were just they were letting you kind of like um, dictate the race and put you in a position, like because they were just intimidated by your ability to sprint over the top of them every time. What it looked like, and I mean, Liz can answer this, what it felt like there, but what it looked like to me was they tried doing things, it didn't work, and then they were like, uh oh. <laughs> like like it was like do we want to because the reality is is liz it looked like to me if somebody went and you're able to cover and the rest of their team isn't even able to cover then you're just up the road with one of their riders and what does that do for them they're just stuck with the with somebody who's up the road that could probably win the sprint against the other riders so it looked like they recognized that they might put themselves in a worse situation and then they were just like well let's just make sure that we stack the field and i want to know then with that ability that you had and was that frustrating at all for you and what do you feel about the reality that this is a team game and you got to show up with a full that like the whole team versus a scratch race single rider and your last rider could still get across the line and if it was a scratch race or it was scored differently or you know is, is there any feedback there from you because you guys did end up with a strong showing still and sometimes it was more about third through fifth and not so much about first and second. So did you f have any feelings or thoughts about that? Well, the first elimination race we did, it was whoever went, whoever wins across the line, that team wins. And that felt like it wasn't aligned with the rest of the, the knockout 
values or whatever because that one didn't feel very teamy to me it felt like if you brought in a ringer then it didn't matter what the rest of your team did so i did think it was kind of better for the finals that it was it was more of a team effort for that elimination race as far as how the points were distributed of course i say that and uh now i wish it wouldn't have been because we would have gotten more points but but i liked that it was more of a team team effort for that and i don't think that that we if we could do that again i think that we didn't race to our full ability with our with the strengths that we had um i think we we could have done better if well we, the whiteboard the whiteboard was sick track. i heard so i mean was that part of it too yeah, i mean not having one well. of the best and well-known strategists at your disposal anymore probably had a little bit of an impact yeah definitely uh and and then i and then once we were we actually were really close on the hill climb and the points race. So it was just that first race that kind of dug us in a big hole. Um, but one, one thing I didn't even couldn't tell from the rule book in the knockouts final also was like, do points carry over from race one, two, and three, or is it like you win race one, you get one point, you win race two, you get two points. And then if you win the first two, you win, or is it like, so I didn't even know if it was cumulative points over the whole thing so i think that's another way you could keep it interesting is if one team wins the first one the other team wins the second one one to one whoever wins the last race so just scoring it differently would be another option of of how to keep it close in the in the knockouts tournament style so the the, the whole format like one of the one of the things that came up a lot in the broadcast was how fun is this going to be when it's actually rolled out to the community and i know you mentioned that nathan a couple times and for someone like me, who's not a sprinter, I look at that like it looks like it would be a lot of fun, although I would get crushed. Right. And then the, the finals come along and there's a hill climb. And I got like I was watching the whole series and it seemed like it was totally sprint, you know, primarily all sprint dominated. And then we get to the finals and they throw in a hill climb. Like, I'm just curious as to uh, how that uh, went over with everybody. It seemed a little inconsistent. Well, can I can I just interject there real quickly? Just that. If this were to work, this would have to have matchmaking at a whole new level that we do not have in the game that we do have in a lot of other games. You would have to have a matchmaking for this to work that's similar to what we see in Overwatch, Dota, um, you know, anywhere where you're putting similarly ranked individuals into a team and then throwing them into an arena with other teams that have found similarly ranked individuals. So either clubs would have to show up and register or they have a matchmaking system that takes individuals on a ranking, puts them all into a random team, and then puts them into the game together if we were going to do a team's knockout situation. And so what would then end up happening is based on your ability to play that role in that team, you would get slotted or however they would be able to do that from a gaming perspective. So these are things that, you know... A lot of things that early on it was Zip Community Live, part of the reason we were doing what we were doing was to see what the what would be a water cooler that people would get around and be like, this is cool. Let's do more of this and talk about it. And then, oh, maybe we should develop this in the game more, right? And so Rift Knockouts was a test event. Do we put any effort into creating something? Because how else are we going to do that? You know, And with the clubs feature, you can kind of see down the road, okay, maybe clubs will be able to register is part of the idea there. Or how do you invigorate clubs to make it more a part of competition? This might be a way to do that. And clubs then register rather than individuals. And do you build a matchmaking system for individuals or for clubs? You know, So there's, there's a whole lot of dev that would have to go into a knockouts to get to where what Liz experienced versus what you just talked about as an individual against a whole bunch of racers, you know, just getting knocked out of a race as an individual. Totally different than a team. So do we know? Do do Nathan? Do you have any answers of what's next? Are there, there any, well, that's be... a, that's the next part of this this whole thing, right? Like, I don't know if anybody's got any answers right now about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. I mean, Very true. Yeah, are, are we leading into any any in kind of? Uh, yeah, are you leading us into uh, an oh, announcement no, no, no. or? We're not leading anywhere. You just go back to 2015 and watch my interviews on my personal channel saying these exact same things a long time ago. And doing well, and then Zoom came along, and now we just say Zoom. So, yeah. right, <laughs> right. Well, there's there's one format uh, that Dirt had tried a couple of years ago that was a lot of fun. It didn't work out very well at all, but it was um, 
like March Madness style bracketed drag racing. And so we would line up at one end of the, uh, the boardwalk, which was exactly a quarter mile long. We'd have a countdown and we would just sprint from one end to the other. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I GTA think whole, has this too, doesn't GTA have this? I don't probably know if you can do so. It in the mod. I don't know if you can do it in the mod, but because you can ri- you can ride on GTA, and they have something like that. Can yeah, you- so I mean, it feels like that would be a really simple world to build out. Is just a quarter mile drag strip. You could spin your trainer up as hard as you want, be doing as many watts as you want, and as soon as that uh, <laughs> that you hit zero. They should it's, have like flames coming out of the back oh, of the bikes, yeah. just like in drag races, like have people on the sides, like with their flames yeah, going yeah. on. Your, like, your tires yeah. would smoke, all that. Now your these are the ideas. Like they, the same way that they blow up. In the... This is yeah. this is what we need to take this with right here is the flames. <laughs> that that sounds like no fun at all, unless you do it like at the bottom of uh, the leg snapper, in which case I think that that'd be great. Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking, of, tea. speaking of taking the flames to Zwift, we got a little bit of news, some more breaking news, two weeks in a row. Um, Nathan, um, tell us a little about your thoughts of Zwift pivoting away from hardware and all the layoffs and, and what direction things are going. Oh, on the spot okay. again. Well, I mean, the first thing I'll say is the only thing that's been on my mind is who I'm talking to on a personal level right now because I've been with Zwift a long time. And when you're with a company for a really long time, it becomes more like family than it is a business a lot of times. And so checking in on a lot of relationships has mainly been what I've been doing and what I've been thinking about. And a lot of my conversations have been more about the relationships that I have and how those are going to develop in not working with people anymore or working with people. And, you know, um, even amongst the partners, that's mainly been the conversation alongside of... um, you know, along, uh, alongside of like the feelings around all of that, um, then we're also talking about forecasting and what this means and what kind of moves and whether or not it's going to work and that kind of stuff. So first I want to just frame it that way, though, that what's on Nathan's mind has mainly been about the people that I know and have grown to love, actually, as part of my life. They're, they're And my life work in a lot of ways. I've given seven years of my life to building, you know, Zwift, competition racing and helping this platform and obviously have a lot of passion for it alongside these people so that's the first thing i would say has been on my mind yeah i could certainly see that that's um it's kind of like one of those things where you know everybody that's that's a zwifter they're they're kind of like they're focused on all right you know zwift screwed up again but it's uh there, there are personal lives that are affected here like i was really touched by um um west salmon who um who spoke about um you know being laid off by the company and I originally saw it on, on LinkedIn because I'm on LinkedIn. I, I promote some of the stuff there. And it, it really came across to me as if he, you know, this guy is really, really struggling with this decision. And it, it, was, it was really painful to read. And then, it, you know, he kind of uh, shared that around. And, you know, it's, you know, Zwift, people like to criticize Zwift. You know, I don't because, you know, it's changed my life. And, you know, you know there are, I'm sure there are some people, you know, without even thinking about the personal nature of it, just like chuckling and pointing at, you know, Zwift screwed up again. But, you know, the, you know they, they may have made a bad decision. That's business, but it's, it's affected people personally. And then that's, uh, that's never easy to take. And it shouldn't be something that you uh, point your finger and laugh at. Absolutely not. And then, so then I'll, I will say, though, the... Um decision side they're not the only ones that have made these decisions coming out of covid um peloton stock is currently really really low probably for similar reasons to the decisions that were made and so um i think that going into hardware um you know that was a big question mark and then um you know it's risky it's super risky are we going to focus on our software as that's what we are as a software company and then you try and do something completely new um on top of that you're really ramping up marketing you're really ramping up i mean you look at uh, all of uh where you've seen in the last two years how much more have you seen zwift in mainstream marketing that's around cycling stuff right like all of a sudden the tour de france boom you start seeing zwift ads you know and, and there's obviously a lot of development going on um, 
on the push to grow into the market. Um, and then, you know, I don't know if I don't, a lot of people are like, I got some questions that came to me in DMs like, oh, it's a response to RGT. It's a response to Wahoo. And I was like, this ain't a part of the fight yet. This might be like, we ate too much and are we fit? Because I'm going to have a fight. This isn't, I don't think that this is about that. Like, this isn't a response to RGT and Wahoo um, necessarily. I think that, like, I had said on the last episode of Zifcast, you know, um, there are, that that's like a six maybe going on seven as far as awareness. This isn't like high-end alarm bells. It's like, oh, we need to be aware here. But I think there's another scale of how are we doing and how aware are we of how we are doing that's a, a number scale as well that was like, oh, maybe the alarm bells are higher on how we're just doing with ourselves rather than paying attention to what somebody else is doing so much. Yeah, so certainly I understand that. And um, I think that there's been just so much turmoil in the last few years in business and everything else. And uh, this is a, I mean, if you've ever worked for a startup before, you're building the airplane as you're flying it, so to speak. And there's a lot of difficult decisions that need to be made along the way. And it's not for the faint of heart, you know, like, working at these companies, um, we have this joke like, Hey, where's the documentation for this? Well, you haven't written it yet. You know, like there's no playbook because it's never been done. And so they can look at what Peloton has done to some degree or what some other video games have done to some degree and, and get some inspiration there. But ultimately they're going to have to make their own decisions and they don't know if they're going to work. You know, I, I, just speaking to uh, what you're saying, Nathan, that, that this isn't like um, part of the fight. I, I do. I can't help but think that the reason why they, they um, focused on the elimination of the hardware division is because they feel that they can't win that fight. And I mentioned in the, in the last podcast that if and when we had discussed the, the merger, we had a, a roundtable discussion about it, that if I was in their hardware division, I'd be polishing up my resume because I don't think I'm long for this job. And then a week later, everybody in the hardware division gets, um, you know, gets a notice. Um, you know, Zwift uh, is certainly not naive to think that they can compete with Wahoo um, on the hardware side of things. And yeah, I would agree. I, I agree with you. I agree with you on that part that um, jumping into hardware where Wahoo owns so many floors for direct interaction with people who want that product and then trying to push into that mark i mean i've been I, this is you know part of my history is like you know do a little bit of repping in the cycling industry and those floors are fought for hard <laughs> like and there's a reason why you feel like you just walked into a trek shop and trek isn't on anywhere except for those are the only bikes you can buy right and so like a lot a lot of uh, bicycle floors are fought for just as hard as you see the local dealership on the car dealerships too. They're essentially owned by the manufacturers a lot of times in certain ways because of the deals that, that come across. And so with Wahoo being on so many floors like that and then Zwift trying to get into that, this isn't just about making a good product. Then you've got to ramp into where, how do you actually get the hardware to the end user at that, at that um you know, experience level and trust level and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, there's a trying to take on Wahoo. There is, is a big, you know, question, but I think that they were willing. Um, I do think market forces are a part of this though. Like I think that there was a willingness and then there's some other, I don't, I, I'm not saying I, I'm saying that, that, that market forces and some other stuff might be, like 25% of it or 30% of it, you know what I mean? And then the rest of what we're saying here is, is a, a bigger part of the conversation too. Um, just kind of where things are falling in the world and how much you want to invest right now is uh, it's not a time for maybe trying new growth and big risks, especially in this market. Like I do the, I ride predominantly indoors. I'm an indoor specialist, right? And uh, so when, the, the kicker bike came along. I was like, wow, that that's, you know, I obviously I need to have a kicker bike in my future. But then when um, 
specialized infused all that money into Zwift. I was like, all right, you know, maybe I'll just sit back and wait. You know, maybe specialized is going to be able to make the kicker bike better for Zwift. And, you know, that whole thing, you know, never materialized. And it's kind of like, you know, come back to bite them. And I just wonder what you think, Nathan, about that whole infusion of uh, capital from specialized. Was that just, was that for that purpose in, you, in your opinion? What do you think? I'd be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> like yeah. I have, I have no, no clue. I, like what other? Well, I think uh, specialized probably thinks Zwift is a good, uh, a good bet, um, and I think that specialized likes to be involved in a lot of things in the cycling industry, and uh, it's their bread and butter. And anywhere that you can um, stay involved in every, I mean, they're they're pretty involved across the board when it comes to every way that you can ride a bike and the more involved you are at every level the more power you have to take ground and you know be a part of where things are growing so i think i think they just think zwift's a good bet i don't know if it had maybe it had other things to do with hardware and and um that would make a lot of sense i don't know i, I just to be totally honest i have no clue yeah neither do i I hope somebody well, does, though. That, that, that'd be the real question. Well, here's the other thing, though. There is a good, there, like, there is a question that came up if, like, there's probably good reasons we don't know. And, like, PR is a thing, man. Like, what if we just didn't know about the hardware? What if we just never knew? Then we just True. never knew. True. And Zwift would just look like nothing happened. There's plenty of things that specialized we don't know. There's stuff like somebody, I saw somebody saying, Apple's probably working on 50 things we don't know about. And if they talked about all of them, they'd look like idiots sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I definitely had the thought, I'm like, well, you know what? We've had two big bombs in the virtual cycling world get dropped in the last couple of weeks. And it, what's the next thing that we may not know about? And uh, I have a, a friend of mine who's speculating that uh, perhaps they've talked Peloton into including the Zwift app on their uh, hardware. It's like, huh, you never know. Maybe that's the next big news. But well, um, I hope not. Yeah, <laughs> whatever the news is, we're You don't want all those guys from Peloton jumping on with us? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> As long I as they put a free home on it. I, 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 I want to know what Liz is thinking about that. <laughs> She's going to be racing against Peloton God, next. No. It's going to be uh, that. That's the next knockout is Peloton versus Zwift. My brother has one. It's on. It's going to be the battle of the cy cycling kits versus sports bras. Like we said, you know, I went on vacation one at this place at a spin studio where they put everybody's stats up on the screen. And I'm in the back of this class and it's like dark and my stats are up on the screen. And I'm trying to break this bike. And everybody is looking at me like, "Who? What is this freak doing in the back of the thing?" They've never seen these numbers. I'm like, "I'm were not even good where up? I come from." Did, were you completely kidding? Of course, up in I was. Spin class. Absolutely, with my own shoes too. I travel with my own shoes. Yep, very nice. Well, it remains to be seen. We'll we'll keep an eye on. We'll inform you as things unfold. And also, Chris, tell us a little about the Dad Fund. What's going on with that? The Dirt Fund. All right, so I, you know, I don't. I'm sure that um, Liz and Nathan are aware of the Dirt Dad Fund, but that's the whole reason why I created all this stuff. The Dirt Dad Fund is a nonprofit that I created to support um, members of the virtual cycling community, and um, things are tough. Like uh, in the in the last month, the uh, Dirt Dad Fund has um, extended uh, donations in the amount of four thousand dollars to members in need. It's a uh, we're, we're going through a really rough time in our our uh, in the world, I guess, in general, and. Um, so anything that people can do to uh, support the Dirt Dad Fund, um, one way that I'm, I'm asking uh, people to, to get involved is I'm, I'm going to be riding my bike across the country. I'm leaving, um, geez, in less than a, a month now, flying out to San Francisco. And I'm going to be leaving from San Francisco on June 9th. And I'm taking two months to get back to, uh, to Long Island, where I'm, I'm talking from right now. And I'm, uh, I'm asking people if they want to pledge a day. Um, you know, some people have pledged a, a quarter. And whatever, how many miles I ride that day, um, it's uh, your pledge times the number of miles. And that's what the uh, the donation will be. I know Joy pledged $2. And I'm hoping nice. that'll be the day that I have to like make up for time. And I have to do like a 
300-mile uh, epic ride. <laughs> you're, you're already mapping it out. Yeah, that might be the day, like, after the rain day where I couldn't get out. No, I, it's a, you know, the, the support is always overwhelming, and it gives us the opportunity to, uh, to help people. And, you know, you know kind of like speaking back to what Nathan was uh, saying earlier, that, you know, you know, riding bikes is fun and everything, and it's, but it's, it's the personal, the, uh, you know, the one thing that's, that's great about Zwift to me is the community and making the connections. And, you know, even though, you know, speaking to all of you today, and you know, I never would have met any of you, and, you know, had it not been for, for Zwift. So, I mean, that, that's where, you know, that's where it all lies for me, you know, and the ability to help out. So if anybody can, if they have the opportunity to, that'd be great. That sounds great. And where can they, where can they go to donate, Chris? So I um I actually created a Dirt Dad Fundo Across America page on the Zimunike. You can go there and actually I mapped out every all 60 days of the route. So you can go and if, if I'm going to come by your house, I'd love to have you ride with me. Um, I'm going to, you know, Liz is going to come out and then she's going to uh, pull me around uh, the, the state of Iowa for a while. Hopefully she'll wait up for me. And I'm going to be I'm going to be a little bit below Wisconsin, but it's probably you know, four or five hundred miles isn't a bad ride for you, Nathan. Come down and meet me. That sounds like a lot of fun. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Liz, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. And we'll be sure to be keeping an eye on you and how everything unfolds for you with your virtual virtual cycling career. Nathan, also fantastic to have you. We, uh, we've spoken once before when you were on the uh, Never Going Pro podcast. It's, it's great, to, great to do another podcast with you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having you guys. It's lots of fun. Yeah. And, uh, joy, Chris, any habit of it. Yeah, definitely. And joy, Chris, any closing remarks? I'm just excited now to have Liz back on the TTTs. Very nice. I believe it. I don't know if I want to be on that TTT team. Not me. She she can't talk because it's like 4am when she's racing. So she's silent. So IDS and I just tell her to go and she goes. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining the Virtual Velo Podcast, and we will be back soon with another interesting topic.